All right, let's take some time to reflect on God's Word. Um, today we're looking at Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 25, and we're looking at peace. Uh, the second Sunday of Advent, I think there's a particular pattern that's followed in other uh, churches. Uh, we're not following that pattern necessarily, but as you know, peace is very much a core theme of Christmas. Um, it is everywhere, like, like the songs that we have sung uh, just some moments ago as well. Uh, but um, today, I just want to look at something um, uh, that's more personal, something that's more experienced on a level of individual. So let's read the text uh, for today's meditation, uh, Matthew chapter 1, 18 to 25. Uh, it's a bit small, but you can follow along in your devices or in your, or in your Bibles. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. So, fairly uh, common story that uh, is associated with Christmas. Um, as I said, I want to look at peace, the, the theme of peace. And you know that theme, uh, peace is very much uh, an important element theme of Christmas. Um, we have just, uh, just two songs that we have uh, uh, looked at just some moments ago, Joy to the World. Peace is not mentioned there, but there's, uh, there's the, this, the sense of wholeness that uh, Christmas is about, right? Uh, especially, I think, um, the, the third verse, No more let sins and sorrows grow, no thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. Um, the, the sense that Christ, the birth of Christ, brings about this peace, shalom, and wholeness in, in the earth, in, uh, between nations, between uh, people. Another hymn that, or another song that you may know, uh, I haven't heard this song very much in the UK, but it's very popular in, uh, back at home. Uh, very popular uh, among pop artists as well, I think. Maybe that explains why it's so popular in some circles. But it's the song, Oh Holy Night. Um, the first verse is great as well, but the, technically the third verse is uh, really um, striking, in, uh, in my opinion. It says, Truly he taught us to love one another. His love is peace, and his gospel is... His, love, his law is love, and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy and grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise his holy name. Christ is the Lord, oh praise his name forever. 
his power and glory evermore proclaim, O night divine, O night divine. Again, the same theme of peace. Of course, this particular song, O Holy Night, was written uh, by a French poet in 1843, and it was translated in 1855 into English by an abolitionist, um, an, an activist, uh, Dwight. And he found, he really, he um, interpreted a few words in, from the third verse uh, to especially bring out the, the theme of the slave as a brother and, and oppression ceasing um, uh, in, 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 in the context of the abolition movement against, against slavery in North America, northern part of USA, rather. Um, so this was, this was a song that resonated with ab abolitionists, especially because it uh, talks so much about bringing peace and reconciliation between brothers, between uh, communities. Um, and so th there's legends that this song, even before uh, following the uh, abolitionists, uh, that this song was uh, uh, very popular during the Franco-Prussian War of 1870s. Even there's legends that this song was the song that they sang when uh, there's, there's a legend, right? In the Christmas Day, the, the warring groups uh, um, called off the war and they came and sang carols together. There's a legend that this, this was one of the songs that they sang uh, to, to emphasize that brotherliness, that peace. And of course, as I mentioned, the abolitionists um, use this song as an anthem uh, of sorts um, to, to, to talk about the, the message of Christianity, the message of Christ. Uh, and of course, today we look around at our world. Uh, peace is very much in, in need. Um, there's conflicts everywhere, right? And there's lack of peace, lack of wholeness, lack of, uh, lack of uh, shalom and wholeness in, in the world. Um, the Russian-Ukraine war uh, today is 654 days of war, um, which means clearly more has uh, been going on for a while. The war has sort of evolved into all sorts of things like different nations and countries are being pulled in, uh, Hungary, France, uh, UK, USA, of course, and the tensions continue to escalate between these nations. Um, some of you know what's hap what happened in Manipur way back in May. Um, even today, the, the killing continues, sporadic, but it still continues. And the ethnic rift is as wide as ever. Uh, there's uh, no sign of resolution. There's, it's festering in, in corners of online spaces. The, it, it continues and the rift continues to grow. In the UK, there's economic crisis and there's a lot of anxieties around uh, uh, how to survive. And part of that, I think, escalates into into anxieties about immigration policies that came out last week, for example. And there's anxieties, anxieties all across the board, like uh, among the communities. There's lack of wholeness, there's lack of peace, there's rifts everywhere. Of course, Israel, Palestine, as you know, um, the terrorist attacks and also the uh, horrendous bombing that continues even uh, today. We look around at all of this and we know that uh, the peace of Christmas is as relevant as ever. Um, the world needs peace. The, um, the shalom, the wholeness, the healing that we, we see here so beautifully portrayed, it's still uh, not there. And we continue to need to sing about peace and about hope for peace and uh, restoration in this world. And the mending of wounds, the, uh, the healing of uh, conflicts and rifts. And if I may just ask you to dwell on this picture, right? this image of peace on earth. Um, what might 
what might this look like in the context of all the conflicts that we have just uh, kind of delineated? Uh, what, what might it look like? It's, I don't even know what it might look like, but it's worth meditating on. It's worth reflecting on because that our hope needs to be made alive so that we pray and we work for peace on this earth. All of the things that I've said is on a global scale, like on a big scale, macroscopic scale, if you like. Uh, it's almost on a cosmic level. And it's yes, it's important to hold uh, the message of peace for that context, for the conflicts between nations, for the conflicts between ethnic groups or, uh, uh, or economic problems, uh, the, the, the rifts, the cracks that we see in the society. These are big problems, so to say. But today I want to turn attention to something that's more personal and there's something that's more intimate, the experiences that we have as people, as persons. Because I know you'll agree with me that isn't it equally true that as there's conflicts out there in the world, there's also lack of peace, say. Uh, there's scatteredness in our own experiences, in our own lives. Maybe think of, uh, and I'm not assuming that this is the case, but it, it's very possible that in our families or in our workplace, along with our work, work uh, co-employees, uh, with friends, as followers of Christ in this world, uh, maybe we, we experience that lack of wholeness, lack of peace as well in our own personal lives. Um, and we need healing in our own uh, personal lives as well. We need rest. Who doesn't need rest after, uh, after a long uh, year? Uh, we need reconciliation sometimes. Uh, we need peace. So as much as the cosmic, the global uh, aspects and the conflicts that we see around us, uh, as much as the message of Christmas peace speaks to those conflicts, I think it must also speak to our own personal, our own uh, intimate and our own uh, uh, individual experiences. I won't say individual, but more small scale, microscopic, if you like, the depths of our hearts, right? The troubles of our hearts. It must speak to that as well. Our own peace, our own depths of our hearts. And if you think a bit more about that, sometimes it feels audacious to, to hope for peace in our own hearts when there's so much going on around the world, right? Uh, when all that's going on in the world, there are people who are losing their loved ones, there are people who are losing their lives. Why bother about my own personal experiences? Why bother about my own, um, own uh, troubles of our hearts? Uh, why bother even praying about it? God must be quite busy taking care of all these things. It's almost outrageous. How, how, how can it matter in the context of such drastic injustice and brokenness in the world? And when I think of this, I think of Joseph. Joseph here in this story, we have, we have read the text already, but Joseph in this context is um, the, uh, the betrothed, the, uh, the engaged uh, husband-to-be of Mary, who is the mother of Jesus. And as the story tells us, um, before they were actually married, Mary was found to be with a baby. And as you can imagine, I, I can, we can only imagine um, this must have been a real crisis, like a real trouble of his heart. Um, Mary is going through a lot more, to be sure. Joseph, of course, if you think about it, I, and I know as, a, uh, as a, somebody who has gone through like um, fatherhood, right? Uh, there's not a lot that fathers can do <laughs> in the process of like uh, carrying baby and delivering a baby. 
Mary is doing all of the work, right? She's, she's like, uh, she's carrying the baby. She's going through the pregnancy. Uh, she has the risk of social ostracized, being ostracized socially. She has the risk of being misunderstood. Uh, the social stigma that comes from what she's going through. And Joseph is just there, like he's thinking and he's like speculating, should I call this off? Should I not call this off? Like it's in a way um, smaller. Uh, and we're not talking about in terms of scale, but uh, for Joseph, he can pull off, right? He can call off the, the wedding, so to say. Uh, you might say, why bother with Joseph? Like, he's fine. Like he, the, take care of Mary. Mary is the one who's having all the troubles. Joseph, he's having a bad dream. He's sleeping. Sometimes he can't sleep. That's the, the, the max of his problem. Mary, you should take care. And yet, despite that, God still tends for Joseph. God still cares for Joseph. And I really like this imagery because um, it, it shows how God doesn't dismiss the, the, the troubles of Joseph's heart. Uh, God cares for Joseph. He speaks, he sends a messenger and he speaks to him. And the first thing the messenger tells him is, do not be afraid, right? Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Do not be afraid. Of course, if you think a bit more deeper, Joseph himself is going through a lot, you can imagine. He's standing at a threshold of massive decisions that he has to make. And uh, scholars tell us that Mary at this point of time would have probably been early teens, like 13, 14, 15. Joseph would have been late teens or early 20s. And if I think about myself at that age, I'm not in a position to go through these kinds of uh, dilemma, like these kinds of decisions. So we can imagine that Joseph must have been going through a lot as well. Uh, and he's almost indecisive, um, um, not sure what to do. He's doubting, uh, he has a dilemma. Uh, he, the Bible says he's a just, he thinks of himself as a just man. So he, he doesn't want to, um, he doesn't want to, in a way, uh, do something that's uh, wrong. Uh, so he's considering, shall I leave? Shall I call this off? Uh, and at the same time, he, he's thinking about Mary. Uh, he clearly cares for Mary. How can he just let her, uh, just, just leave her and go, you know? So he's going through all this, all this dilemma. And just, I think a bit of a context is probably worth uh, uh, going through a bit. The process of betrothal or the process of engagement is a bit more, uh, a bit more um, binding than the way engagements are today. Like, if 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 a couple is engaged, and usually it's a one year of engagement or betrothal, uh, they are pretty much husband and wife. No, they're pretty much married. They are legally bounded, um, but they they actually become husband and wife only after the one year and when the wedding actually happens. And when the when the couple is engaged, they're bounded by law, and they cannot. Uh, uh, they must maintain that relationship. Um, if there's adultery that uh, during this time, it's if there's a relationship outside of the the engagement within this time, that's considered as adultery. And adultery means the 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 persons would be stoned to death. Um, and so in this case, you might think of Joseph. He's looking at Mary. Mary could very well have been stoned to death for for her uh, uh, what seems to be adultery uh, that she has a baby. Uh, so the only way for Joseph to save Mary, in a way, uh, uh, kind of, is to call off the wedding quietly, without taking it to court. To call, call it off and say, you know what, uh, you, you do you, you, you go live your life, um, I'll go live mine. 
and kind of split uh, unofficially. And that's what Joseph was thinking that he'll do in a way to save Mary from what he thinks is saving Mary. But um, the, uh, so again, this is like a huge decision, lifelong implications um, um, in, in that in tender age that they are they're having, that they're in. Um, and so when he was going through this dilemma, this tension, it was then that the God sends his messenger in a dream. Um, and the message of God in the dream is, um, go marry, marry, go marry, marry. Um, uh, don't, be, don't be afraid to take Mary home as a wife in verse 20. Something in, there's something else interesting in this story, which is that uh, we are told in verse 18, um, I think it's in verse, yeah, in verse 18, that um, this pregnancy that Mary is going through is not because of any physical relationship that she has had. Um, so it's clearly given there in verse 18, and then also in verse 20, um, the, the messenger, the angel, tells Joseph that what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. It's not the child of another father. In other words, what, we, what theologians call the virgin conception of Jesus, that Jesus was born of a virgin. Um, Mary was a virgin. Um, and the child is conceived by, not by a human father. He is the child of, of God, the Son of God. And in verse 24, uh, in verse 24, we are told that when, when, Joseph, when Joseph hears this story, this message, he gets up and he makes Mary his wife. Essentially, making Jesus the son of Joseph, the, the child of Joseph, um, although that's not a biological connection. He is, in, every, in effect, the descendant of Joseph. And just real quick, a small piece of information that you might find interesting. Uh, in verse 20, when the messenger, when the angel addresses Joseph, he says, Joseph, son of David. Joseph is a descendant of David. And, and as the promised Messiah, Jesus as the promised Messiah is promised to come from the line of David. So it's quite crucial that Joseph is uh, the father of Jesus. Um, so that um, if you go back to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 to 17, you will see a long list of names. And that list establishes Jesus as the promised Messiah, the son of David, as coming from the line of David. And Joseph is that line uh, through which the, the, the line of David is connected to Jesus. So all of these come together in a way uh, to make Jesus as the son of God, who is divinely uh, conceived. He is born of uh, a virgin. He is, as we say in our um, uh, Apostle Creed as well. But he's also the son of David, son of Joseph. He is from the line of David. He is the Messiah. And finally, um, the message that his, uh, the angel says, verse 23, the virgins will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel, which means, as, as written, which means God with us. That this is not just another baby. He is, this is God who is with us. He's not just another messenger who is a prophet like John the Baptist that we saw last Sunday. He is God and God is with us as a human in the form of human. So a lot of things going on in this uh, few verses, a lot of powerful messages being, uh, being told to Joseph. 
What does Joseph do when he gets up? Joseph's response, I think, is quite remarkable. He wakes up almost a different man. He gets up and he's prompt, like straight up, he goes and he goes and marries. Uh, he seems like there's not much conversation about the, the crisis any longer. He has an assurance, he has a confidence, he has a peace in his heart. And he goes and does God's will. He obeys God's will. He carries through uh, God's will and God's uh, plan. And he makes this, he, he commits himself to follow through in marrying and also crucially in supporting Mary uh, through the process. And we can only imagine again the, the kind of difficulties that they must have gone through and how important it must have been to have Joseph as a support for Mary, right? Uh, but Joseph does not, from, from, from all we can see, Joseph does not um, um, waver any longer. He's committed to obey uh, the word of the uh, messenger. <clears throat> I think it's important to note here that Joseph's confidence is restored not because he was relieved from the problem. Uh, he still had to carry through. Uh, he was relieved. He was, not, he was peaceful not because he was relieved from the complexity of all of this. Uh, he was relieved. He was at peace because he knew what was God's will. And he was relieved because he was confident that he can do what is God's will for his life. And I think that's an important uh, reminder for us as well. Peace is not the evasion of difficulty. It, it, peace does not mean that there's no storm in our life. Uh, peace simply means that we have the assurance that what we are doing is God's will. What we are being uh, uh, sent to do is God's will and we are committed to doing God's will, regardless of the storms and difficulties that we may face. So, first piece, Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God is with us. God is with the nations and with the world and with all of the all things that's happening out there in the world. But He's also there with you in the deepest part of who you are, where you may have uh, troubles of your hearts. God is as much there with us, there in, in the depths of our heart, as much as He's there in the world. God is God cares for the world, for all that's happening in the world, the conflicts of the world. As much as He cares for the world, God cares for us. And again, this is audacious. Uh, but this is the audacious meaning of Emmanuel, that God is with us. And this audacious meaning of, jo uh, of Emmanuel is um, also kind of manifested for Joseph, that in the most personal and individual part of Joseph, which is his dream, which is where nobody else can be, right? Even in that depths of his heart, God is there speaking to him and caring for him. God becomes, in Emmanuel, we know God becomes like one of us. He experiences and he knows our brokenness, our concerns. And because of that, he, hear us, he, he hears us when we pray. So the inevitable experiences of struggles and troubles in our lives, may we find the calm assurance of doing what is God's will, of knowing what is God's will and doing what, what is God's will. So, this Christmas, I encourage you to turn our concerns to God in prayer. To seek God's peace in the depths of your heart. And this is not 
so that you can, we can pamper ourselves and feel better about our troubles. Uh, maybe sneak out few blessings from, uh, from there and uh, there are greater needs out there. So, you know, like sneak a bit of blessings here and there. It's not, it's not uh, we should not say, I think, we should not say, why should I trouble God with my petty prob problems and troubles when there's so much pain and suffering in the world? I think that's a wrong approach. That's a wrong attitude. Instead, I think we should seek the confidence and the assurance so that these moments of dilemma and anxieties can be turned into opportunities to show strength and to show grace to others around us. Think of Joseph. The peace that he received through this encounter, it's not so that he can curl up to bed and sleep a little longer. It's so that he can get up and serve Mary. He can get up and be a support to Mary. It was peace that empowered him to go and to serve and to obey God. It was peace that empowered him to perform the enormous task of being a father to Jesus, the baby Jesus, being a father to Jesus. It was peace that empowered him to do all of that, to empower him to follow through with the, the will of God. So when we turn to God for our, with the troubles of our hearts, it's not just to find solace and to find uh, some therapeutic um, experience or to feel better, although th those are important parts of it. But when we turn to God, it is so that we are healed in our brokenness and we are also sent to serve uh, those who, are, who need help, who need support. So when we look for peace in, during Christmas, when we look for peace in our troubles, the troubles of our hearts, we are doing it because we want to be available for God's will, for God's purpose in our lives. So there is peace in this world because of Christmas. There, there will be peace. We can hope for peace in this world. There is also peace in turning to God for the troubles of our hearts. There is peace in being sent to serve. And there is peace in obedience. So I want to invite all of us during Christmas and beyond, of course, to, to make this audacious prayer, seeking peace, um, which is made possible because of Emmanuel, because God is with us in the depths of our hearts, in where nobody else can even experience or hear the troubles of our hearts. As Psalm 5, there's a very memorable psalm that I always think of. Um, Give ear to my word, O Lord, Consider my sighings. Sometimes there are sighings that we cannot even, there are depths, the troubles in our hearts that we cannot even speak, articulate. We can pray to God that he will hear us there because he is Emmanuel, he is God with us. Let us pray and uh, I want to invite you to make this our prayer. Um, this is from Psalm 25 um, uh, and let this be our prayer as we close. Turn to me and be gracious to me for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. Look on my affliction and my distress and take away my sins. See how numerous are my enemies and how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life and rescue me. Do not let me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me, because my hope, Lord, is in you. Amen.